Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Bookburners, Season 3, Episode 2. No. Money crossed her arms over her sweater vest. Absolutely not. I refuse. The new excavation lay in the forest south of Montignac, up a winding gravel service road flanked on both sides by new fallen leaves. Bordeaux farmland rolled a few miles away, but the forest hills stood fast. Humans were only guests on this land, and they left gentle traces. A road centuries would erase, huts to feed the rod and rain. Paintings that survivors 20,000 years down the line might find, and finding, feel how fragile was their hold on the world. In these hills, the scholars dug. Monique stood before the gate of a chain-link fence. Behind it, battery floodlights peeled back the dark, revealing white tents, a few pickup trucks that looked smaller than the pickup Sal knew back home, and the cave, a heavy lip of rock projecting from a gradual slope. Monique would not let them get closer. Look, Liam said. You have guards posted on the cave, looking in. What are those, crowd students? Postdocs. And I'm sure they'll do a great job if anything does happen. You shouldn't even be on sight this late. Obviously, something's wrong. All we want is for you to let us inside so we can take a look around. She glared at him over her glasses. The professor is missing. We may be in danger. The, the site may be in danger. The paintings inside are priceless. You have no idea what kind of damage amateurs could do. That's what I'm trying to tell you, he said. There's already an amateur in the cave, her sister. Monique's eyes flicked over his shoulder to Agnieszka, who returned her gaze with fury, but saw at Sal's hand. Sal took hers and did not wince much when Agnieszka crushed her fingers. This woman has been bothering us all day. Her sister didn't enter the cave. We have cameras, alarms. But I imagine your cameras experienced a little trouble last night, didn't they? Went a bit fuzzy around, uh, when was it, Agnieszka? Nine, she said. Nine o'clock at night? Just for a few minutes. Whatever changed about Monique, Sal could not put into words. Her arms remained crossed, her feet spread broader than shoulder width, her body squared against Liam, her head at an angle so she seemed to be looking down at him rather than up. But the foundation on which she stood was a touch less certain than before. Look, you know there's something wrong already, or you suspected. 
You saw what you saw back at the museum. Maybe you've heard things in the cave already, voices that almost make sense, movement glimpsed out of the corner of your eye. Paintings you know have changed places, but when you look at old photographs of them, they've always been where they are now. Her mouth compressed. I will call the police. You have given postdocs shovels and rakes and told them to guard a cave mouth in case something comes out. You know what's going on, even if you can't admit it to yourself. What is going on here, then, Mr. Liam Doyle? You have brought us a priest? We are scientists here, scholars. So are we, Manchu said, which even Sal had to admit was stretching the truth a bit more than usual. She wished Asante were here. The archivist had a powerful gift for speaking to academics and seemed to know most of them. Monique's eyes narrowed. I know it's difficult to accept that there might be forces at work beyond your experience, but you've seen them with your own eyes. Superstition, Monique snapped back. Sal felt bad for the woman, cut loose in a world that refused to keep to the rules she had learned. Pressed, people retreat to ground they know they can hold. Father, I have great respect for the church as an institution, but you will not intimidate me with bedtime tales of ghosts and witchcraft. Whatever is happening here, we will deal with it rationally. Manchu nodded, calm as ever in the face of others' frustration. He seemed to have an answer ready, he always had an answer ready, and it was always the right thing to say. But before he could speak, the earth roared. A shadow in the cave bubbled, boiled, and burst. One of the postdocs on guard duty screamed, two others brandished their makeshift weapons like pikemen. More ran from the tents carrying books, spades, whatever they had to hand. Bulls made of darkness and rust emerged from the cave into the clearing. Their hooves tore grooves in the gold-leafed ground. They snorted coils of black steam. Before the bulls, the forest had made its own nighttime sounds, like and unlike those Sal knew. Crickets in a different key, wind and nearby water. But when the bulls emerged, those sounds knelt before their hoofbeats and their mythic breath. The bulls were deeper than the world. They existed by stripes where floodlights fell. They seemed hardly there in the darkness between. Then they charged. One student tried to brace her shovel against the earth. The bull tore into them both, and she vanished, pike and all. One student tried to run, but the second bull caught him on its horns as if to gore or toss, and they both vanished too. Two bulls met no resistance and ran through the tents and fence out into the woods, and one ran straight toward the team. Sal moved first. Agnieszka's grip had tightened to the point of bone crushing, so she just tugged the other woman along, shoving herself between Monique and the bull. Agnieszka tried to pull away, but Sal raised her crucifix and hoped she wasn't making a mistake. The bull thundered toward them, horns lowered. Hoofbeats drummed the earth. It passed through the fence like a breeze, but Sal felt the weight of it, the undeniable presence of those hooked horns. In the last second before impact, Sal smelled it through interposing eons the meaty auroch scent of muscle and hot leather and dirt. The part of her brain that was still convinced deep down, and in spite of all evidence, that she was a primeval monkey walking the grasslands that used to be the Sahara, made good and ready to die. The bull struck her. The crucifix burned in her hand. She fell to one knee and gritted her teeth and did not scream as the shadow flowed around her, over her, through her. When the flood passed, she returned to herself, kneeling before the fence with a tarnished crucifix in one hand. Agnieszka helped her up. Sal took a breath and realized she wasn't dead. 
Thanks. You saved us. Manchu and Liam were both still there, at least checking their own silver, all tarnished. Monique remained too, shocked. One perk of the job that Team 3 didn't tend to discuss, Sal thought, was how often you got to be right about things. If she had been the kind of person to say, I told you so, she would have really enjoyed it. Instead, she tried, Monique, we're all on the same side here. We want your professor safe. We want to help those kids who just disappeared. Go to the police if you want, but that will slow things down, and we don't know how much time we have. 28 hours until Team 1 comes in with a napalm, she didn't say. I know it looks scary, but we've seen things like this before. This is what we do. Cricket sounds return to the forest and wind. Somewhere, not so far away, great ancient beasts stampeded through the dark. Okay, Monique said, but I'm coming with you. Flashlights died as they approached the cave, which Sal had expected. To her surprise, so had Monique. This happened yesterday, too. And you didn't think it was weird? Of course, magnetic interference, we believed. Anyway, this is why we have chemical lanterns. She produced something that looked to Sal like a glorified glow stick and cracked the seal. It guttered and died, too. That's strange. Here, Liam passed out torches from Menchu's kid and drew his own lighter. You can bring fire into the cave, the paintings. You're suggesting we go down there in the dark? I'm not suggesting we go down at all. We should wait for the authorities. Much as it pains me to admit, Monique, we are the authorities. Monique glared at him with intent to murder, but at last she grabbed the torch and they all went down together. The cave slowed down sharply after the lip. Ten feet in, even Liam could stand upright, and after twenty, the ceiling was high enough that he no longer needed to duck away from the odd stalactite. Then the tunnel widened, and the paintings began. Sal caught her breath when she saw them. The replicas, she had assured Liam, were identical to the originals. Same pigments, same brushes, same brush strokes, even. The imitators knew what they were doing. But the real paintings breathed. The living past pressed against them like a lover's body beneath a sheet. Sal felt a bit silly when she realized that the paintings really were breathing. Nor were they all exactly ancient. Amid the aurochs and ponies, the deer and megaloceruses and antelope, she spotted two kids in soccer jerseys and a tourist with a camera phone raised against the stampede. She hoped for Monique's sake that they could reverse this magic and bring all these people back out of the wall. There probably weren't all that many Real Madrid jerseys in prehistory. Agnieszka hefted her torch higher. You have a sister? She asked. Just my brother, Sal said. Liam and Monique were arguing about directions. Father Menchu looked lonely. Two years younger. Good, she nodded. It is hard to be so far away in age. We are together, you know, but we are not really together. She sees me like aunt sometime. Two years is a little close, if you ask me, Sal said. Perry and I were so close that we couldn't have much in common. Agnieszka looked confused. If I like sports, he couldn't just not play them. He had to be this total nerd about it. He had to be everything I wasn't. It hurt when we were kids. A giant painted snake slithered on the ceiling. I wanted us to be a team. I always came through for him when he needed me, and he came through for me. But if we weren't in trouble, 
We didn't see each other much. You said he vanished, Aginieszka said as they turned down a cave passage that, to judge from overheard bits of Monique's and Liam's argument, hadn't been there before. Manchu had produced a compass, or something like a compass, that seemed to confirm their direction. New magic kit from Team One's coffers. Is that what you mean? What? Oh, uh, no sense hiding it now that they were down here in a magic animated cave hunting art monsters. No, I meant that literally. He got possessed. If that is, he sort of joined with, you know the word angel? In Polish, the word is anjol, she said. Not so different. With the wings, yes? Something like that. They descended a winding passage. Cave silence pressed about them, so close Al could hear her own heartbeat. No, that was not her heartbeat. That was a real drum, from somewhere deep down. Waves of oily shadow passed over the wall now, seeping over cave paintings, clustering close to the rock. Yeah, she said. So there was this angel, and he and Perry got jammed together in his head, and then Perry disappeared. You saw him back there in the... She stopped before she could say museum. The passage opened into another gallery, larger than the first and more densely painted, where the walls weren't covered with slick shadow. Herds of animals gathered on the far wall, forms pressing against the darkness, fighting to break free. More bulls and horses, more megaloceruses and other animals she hadn't seen yet. Huge, shaggy cats and wolves four feet tall at the shoulder, and other creatures for which she had no name. Perry sat in the center of the cave, in a candlelight circle, chanting in a high, reedy voice and beating a drum in heartbeat time. Liam ran toward him. Easy deduction, whatever Perry was doing, it wouldn't be helpful. But the easy deduction was just as often wrong as not, and the animals pressing against the confines of the shadow glared at Perry hungrily. They lunged against the limits of the shadow and fell back. He wasn't letting the beasts out. He was keeping them bound. She had time to shout no before Liam crossed the candlelight circle and let loose the stampede. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. 
VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Four. Sal scrambled to her feet and tried to sort out the last few seconds' panic. Liam broke the circle, shadow animals charged out of the walls. She ran toward Perry, Agnieszka followed her. A large, shaggy, elephant-like thing galloped to the head of the stampede, and then, well... She stood beneath a stony sky. Now, scratch that. The sky was stone. Not an arch or dome of some sort, but solid stone, complete with massive mineral veins, ribbon with tiny cracks left by ice and shifting earth. Stone, too, was the ground beneath her feet, a shade redder than the sky, cracked and layered. Far away, or at least she thought it was far away, on all sides lay a jagged charcoal horizon. Between the horizon and Sal stood other charcoal suggestions of terrain and shadowless beasts grazing on invisible grass or charging across the plain. Two suns burned in the sky and an enormous cyclone moved behind the charcoal mountains. Damn it. She had a fresh crucifix and everything. She pulled it from beneath her shirt and saw only a tarnished smear. That much magic at once must have burned through the silver. She hadn't seen that happen before. She heard a groan at her feet and a sharp, brief exclamation in Polish. Agnieszka and Perry lay nearby, shuddering and trying to rise. They lacked color, hue, shade in this place. Vivid dark lines sketched them against the rock. When they moved, she felt sick to her stomach. She wondered whether she actually had a stomach here and decided against thinking about that question anymore. She reached for Agnieszka and saw her own hand also in outline, proportions perfect, fleshless. She was a shape on a wall. She ignored that, too, and helped Agnieszka up. Are you okay? I think so. Agnieszka dusted herself off. Where are we? Ask him. Perry grinned and helped himself to his feet. Hey, Sal. Long time no see. What the hell? said Sal. What are you doing? Oh, you know. He brushed invisible dust off his clothes. Helping? Is this what helping looks like? Because being turned into a cave painting is not what I have in mind when I think helping. I had everything under control. Give and take a few aurochs storming through the dig site. Can't make an omelet without breaking a few aurochs. This isn't a joke. I figured out a ritual to hold the animals in the wall. I would have fought through the shadows to the main gallery in another hour or so if your meathead friend hadn't messed everything up. He cracked his neck, then his knuckles. Sal winced. 
So, yeah, I was helping. Meanwhile, what exactly was your plan, outside of getting us stuck in a caveman remake of the Take On Me music video? We are, Aginyeshka said, on the rock? Yes, Perry said, followed by a few words of Polish. Aginyeshka laughed for the first time that day, and Sal felt briefly jealous. What? Cannot translate, she said with a shrug. Good joke, though. Sal said to Perry, you speak Polish now? He kicked at the ground, producing a few lines of pebble movement that soon settled back into stability. Aaron did. His languages ended up muddled in my head with the rest. Aganieszka looked from Perry's face to Sal's judging. This is your brother? Good question, Sal said. Come on, Sal. It doesn't have to be like that. I don't know the answer, Perry. Aaron, Perrin, whoever you are. It's not as if you have been straight with me so far. He raised his hands, opened his mouth, then thought better of whatever he had planned to say. His hands returned to his pockets and his lines all curved. I'm Perry, he said, and to Aginyeshka, her brother, mostly, with some extra parts. How do I know you're not lying? I told you the truth when I left. I didn't know what was going on in Aaron's head, and I still don't. I thought I could sort the whole thing out, then come back to help you with the church or whatever. But it's not that simple. So that's why you've been playing keep away from Sal for the last year and a half? After everything I did to bring you home safe, you just had to go walk about. You don't need to sound so dismissive. What were you up to back in the museum, that whole wave and disappear shtick? I panicked. I thought it would look cool. You thought... She paced away and realized her fingers were hooking into strangling position. Okay, fine. Can you disappear us out of here, back into the real world? It doesn't work that way. Ah, oh, of course it wouldn't. I can send shadows of myself on errands like I'm dreaming, only it's real. I can't just teleport. Good for you. Fine. Fine. Will you both please shut up? Sal turned. Aginyeshka stood between them, hands out, looking from one to the other. My sister is lost in here, she said. I must find her. Can you help? Sal stared at Perry, and Perry stared at Sal, until they both said yes at once. They worked through the stone land. Perry guided them toward the cyclone. It looks like a whirlwind, he said, but it's not, really. Aginyeshka's sister has been breaking things out of the rock, pulling them into the human world. That's where we'll find her. But the animals were breaking out everywhere. Not all the way. There were just shadows, remember? Only half there. If we want our bodies back, we can't just try to bubble out of the painted world. We need to go to the magic's heart. And there we will find Sylvia. Sal looked to Perry, who nodded. I mean, I hope. <laughs> this isn't exactly a science. Aginyeshka marched on, and they marched with her. Sal took point, pistol drawn. She listened with her ears and with her feet. When the stones shook, she guided them to shelter as a herd of bison shambled past. Once, she heard a loud, sharp cough from a nearby copse of sketchy trees, like a tiger's chuff, but deeper. She motioned them along and kept her eyes on the copse until they crested a nearby hill. She checked her watch and swore. What? She showed Perry. The watch hands moved in jumps five minutes at a time. If this is telling the truth, we've been here for 12 hours. I don't feel hungry, he said. 
We still need to eat. He answered with the long-suffering look she ignored. Twenty hours left, if my watch is right. Agnieszka trotted up next to her. What happens after twenty hours? She sucked air through her teeth. It tasted of dust and stone, and she realized that was the first breath she'd taken in, hell, several hours. The people we work for, she said. When something like this happens, they want us to deal with it quickly and peacefully. If that doesn't work, they call him back up. That was one word for it. She remembered a burning hotel and a young woman killed by a bureaucrat's need to check a box. Backup is good, no? No, she said and pressed on. Hours passed, or minutes. Unmoored from flesh, she found she lacked any instinct for telling time. She missed her heartbeat. She missed her skin. She still felt, felt her clothes, felt the ground beneath her shoes, felt her skin when she touched it. But when she wasn't paying attention, it slipped away. They passed over a ridge and descended into a shattered land of deep craters and ravines, a desert moonscape. Across the sharp rock labyrinth rose the whirlwind they had seen from a distance, raw movement against the unbroken stone sky, spinning in some direction that was not precisely up, carrying bison and deer and horses and men along with it toward those burning suns Sal could already tell were eyes. Below them, painted suggestions of men and women fought a great lizard-like smudge beside a cliff. The smudge reared back from their blades and the slingstones hissing. Its tail caught one man across the stomach and he crumpled. The kid jumped on the smudge's back and tried to pierce its hide with a stone knife, but didn't seem to make much progress. Okay, Perry said. We can do this. We'll skirt around the battle, work through the maze, and get to the whirlwind. Sal glanced at her watch again. Ten hours. How the hell? No, don't worry about it. You're stuck in a cave painting. No sense getting pissy at your wristwatch. No time. I have a better idea. What? Ask for directions, she said and sprinted toward the battle. She whooped as she ran and hollered and otherwise raised the ruckus, partly to attract attention and partly to drown out Perry's terrified squawk behind her. Hey, you ugly son of a gun. Over here. The smudge whirled on her, snarling. It was a lot bigger up close, and she'd closed the distance faster than she expected. It roared stone and rotting meat. Sal drew her gun and shot it three times in the head. The bullets didn't simply bounce off. They left bloody furrows in its hide. She could tell by the rust-red trails and white where the bone showed through, but didn't pierce the skull. The smudge coiled along its length, bearing long, sharp teeth. She jumped back. Its jaws snapped shut where she had been. Okay. Steady your breath. Think about the eyes or the open mouth. Smooth pressure on the trigger. The smudge launched itself at her again. She rolled out of the way, came up, drew a bead on its eye as it reared, long tongue snaking out between its teeth. This time she had it. Then the kid hanging from the smudge's neck jammed his knife through its eye into the brain. That worked too. The smudge fell hard. The hunters turned to Sal in the sudden silence. She raised her hands and hoped that body language carried across the, what, 20,000 years? They looked human-ish, shaggy, dressed in kilts of some sort of fur, or maybe just pelts. They moved slowly, which surprised her after the ferocity they showed while hunting. The kid on the smudge's back stood, 
Her hand dripped blood. The dead beast's rear leg twitched. A bearded man asked sharp questions in a language like gravel rolling in a metal pan. She shook her head. Friend? He frowned. Fine, couldn't expect cave people to speak English, but at least this wasn't one of those moments where the rest of the team rolled their eyes at the Americans' inability to speak furin. Perry skidded down the hill toward them, Agnieszka following. Sal tried to wave them back without looking like she was waving someone back. She could figure this out. She just needed a little more time. Then Perry opened his mouth. The sounds that came out sounded harsh and guttural, and he hunched forward as he spoke them, like the hunters. The bearded man turned back and responded in kind. Let me guess, Sal said. Aaron speaks caveman? He's been around a long time, Perry said in return to the hunter. Okay, uh, good. They can take us the rest of the way. He asked if he could have your gun. Tell him it's big magic, only works for me. Perry relayed this message. The hunter shrugged and made a noise even Sal could tell was noncommittal. He says can't blame him for trying. Cute. The kid scampered off the beast and waved them after her with her red right hand. She says, follow. I got that part, thanks. The kid with the bloody hand led them through jagged canyons and over sharp stone to the foot of the whirlwind. Overhead, or whatever direction that was, twin eye suns burned. The wind chipped and tore at the rock, tearing ground away to reveal an enormous familiar shape. Like the smudge lizard, but so large she mistook it at first for a mistake. 20,000-year-old spilled paint, perhaps. But no, that darkness had scales and claws and moved. The kid pointed into the maelstrom. Sal gave her a thumbs up and she sprinted back through the canyons. So, she said to Perry, we jump into that thing and we pop back into the real world. Or get smashed into a pulp, he grinned. But I think it's the real world one. You think? I have a really good feeling about this. Great. She started for the whirlwind, only to realize Agnieszka wasn't with them. After a moment's frantic search, she found her crouched behind a boulder. Agnieszka, we have to go. She shook her head. Her wide eyes reflected the paired sun's light. This is our shot. Your sister's on the other side of that thing. That, Agnieszka said. Is what scares me. She wants to see you. Whatever you were fighting about, whatever you said, you don't know that. There were right words to say here. There had to be. She just couldn't find them. She does, Perry said. Behind them, a huge slab of rock tore free of the ground and shattered as it rose. The beast beneath twitched and surged, almost free. Agnieszka took Sal's hand. Good, she said. Okay, let's go. They ran together into the whirlwind. Five. This time, Sal stayed conscious the whole way through the grotesque inversion as the twin suns pierced her with their gaze. Her body folded inside out and outside in again, known completely rendered as a line drawing, rendered as fat, cooked from bone. Winds took her to pieces. Flesh hung itself around her like a cloak. Tyrant lungs demanded she breathe. The autark heart drove blood through resisting veins. 
Gravity, real gravity, not an artist's disposition to place these forms against those others, tugged her down. She landed on her feet in a cavern warm with the breath of beasts. They circled near the walls or nested among stalagmites, horned and furred and long-toothed, paws patting stone, claws tearing chalk-white trails in gray. Eyes glittered in the dark, reflecting the cavern's sole source of light. Sylvia's gaze carved the shadows like a searchlight and reflected back off the walls onto her. She was a kid, really. Sal was always surprised how young 18 looked to her these days. A kid with narrow shoulders, a blonde ponytail, a baggy jacket, straight leg jeans, big stomping boots. Huge pages littered the ground at her feet. She propped the sketch pad on her hip as she swept her hand across its surface, leaving charcoal trails. Her searchlight gaze flickered back to the painting she was copying off the wall. An enormous nightmare smudge of lizard, too huge to ever live. A scared and long dead artist's fever dream. And as Sylvia scratched charcoal onto her page, the lizard on the wall swelled and sharpened. It took shape, grew definition. When it breathed, the other creature shuddered. Talk to her, Sal said, she'll listen. Or you could tackle her in the middle of an incantation. Sal's friends seemed to like that approach. Sylvia, Agnieszka lifted herself from the rock and stepped toward her sister. Sylvia drew faster. The lizard's eyes opened and rolled red. Sylvia, listen to me, you have to stop. Agnieszka ground her toe into the rock. She raised her chin, thrust her shoulders back and marched toward her sister. She spoke through the chisel whirl of magic, shouted. Perry stepped up behind her. She says she didn't mean it. She says she's sorry. Sal almost grabbed his hand. Okay. Sylvia kept drawing. Agnieszka neared step by step, braced against a wind only she could feel. Maybe it was magic, maybe not. She reached for Sylvia's shoulder. The girl turned and fixed her with that lantern gaze. Shadows vanished from Agnieszka's face, and she rose off the ground as if caught in a giant's invisible fist. Sal started forward, but Perry held her back. Of course you want me to stop, Perry translated. You always wanted me to stop, you all did. Mom and dad and you all together. Why waste your time, do something, uh, uh, something serious? The world doesn't need more pictures. Oh, Sal said, remembering dinner tables past. Huh, some things are the same all over the world, Perry said, I guess. For the record, I never said history was useless. No, you just had to go into the family business and crow about how you like making a real difference in the world. Agnieszka fought to breathe, fought to speak. We, uh, sorry, okay, that's what she says. Uh, I didn't mean to, uh, Sylvia snarled. Tears burned on her face. Agnieszka tried again. Uh, I missed you, that's all. I haven't seen you since I left home. I do this job because I like it and because it makes money and because we can send you to school, but I was so happy to see you and you wanted to spend all your time drawing. I couldn't talk to you, I didn't know how. He nodded, satisfied with the translation. He was not looking at Sal. But this is wrong, you're stealing people's reality to make your own world. The power of this place, it's using you. I just want my sister back. 
The lizard strained against the rock wall. Two of its claws burst free and its great head reared. Dust rained and stone creaked. Sal took Perry's hand. Sylvia lifted her hand from the page and closed her eyes. Darkness closed around them. A blast of wind shook the cavern. Sal fell to her knees. Cows lowed and horses whinnied and lions roared, but the sounds twisted and then suddenly became human voices. Lights split the darkness, cell phones, flashlights, torches. Liam, Father Manchu. They crouched for battle not ten feet from Sal herself. Liam's shirt seemed to have been cannibalized for bandages. He was sweat slick and daubed in paintings that reminded Sal of the pelt-clad people in the rock. Father Manchu's jacket and shirt were torn and his pants. One of Liam's shirt sleeves was wadded around a wound on his bare leg. Monique still wore her sweater vest, bloodstained now, but her sleeves were rolled up, her knuckles swollen as if she'd punched someone recently. Liam's face, for that matter, looked a little discolored, but at least they had light. Sal, Father Menchu ran to her. We looked for you in whatever that was, but we couldn't find you. What happened? Agnieszka and Sylvia lay still, but breathing, in the center of the cavern, while scared tourists snapped flash photos, and Professor Girondon, who seemed utterly unaffected by his stay on the cave wall, scrambled to stop them. Monique called the professor's name, and he stopped, confused, to adjust his glasses. Yeah, Perry said. Sal? When she turned to look, he cast his phone light to the wall across the cavern. It was empty. Sal heard a hiss from overhead. The air stank of cave carrion. Everybody get down! Of course, the civilians didn't listen. Camera lights darted up to the blackness on the ceiling. The enormous scaled bulk of the creature splayed there. Its hiss turned to a roar and it sprang toward the passage leading, near as Sal could tell, up. The lizard compressed itself, illogical octopus-like, through the opening and wriggled away, leaving screams in its wake. It's afraid of us? Liam asked, something that size. Hell if I know, Sel said, but we can't let it get away. She ran and the others followed, Liam and Chub, even Perry, and to her surprise, Monique. Running was fine, running was good, even, following the trail of broken rocks and smeared paintings the wriggling lizard left. Running gave you time to think. This lizard, the smaller version, had been almost bulletproof. And Sal had, God, was it five or six rounds left? Four? She should know this, damn it. Lost track in the sprint and the magic. Anyway, eyes were vulnerable. Since this one was bigger, maybe that left her a bigger target or something. Christ. What was the cover story if this one got out? It didn't exactly fit the local landscape. Maybe they could pass it off as a tourist attraction. Come to the south of France, see the scenic local giant prehistoric lizards that probably didn't exist anyway. She ran faster through the gallery where they'd found Perry, up the tunnel through two more galleries, then crouching out into the sunlight. The lizard looked even larger by day. It swelled in the clearing. One sweep of its tail toppled a tent. It gnawed experimentally at a floodlight. Sparks fountained from its mouth, but the shock didn't seem to bother it. Grad students scattered, screaming. Monique ran out, waving her hands, directing them in French to do something. Liam followed her, torch brandished like a sword, the flame barely visible by daylight. Menchu circled the other way, wary. He grabbed a shovel and jabbed at the lizard, which did not seem to notice. Sal swallowed hard and drew her pistol. 
Then a knight fell from the sky and cut the lizard's head off. The head, the body, and the knight hit the ground in triple time. Blood gushed from the lizard's neck. The knight stood. Team One's cross-sword logo stencil glittered on her armor. Her wings folded back against their harness. Sal glanced down at her watch. Time's up. Jeeps growled up the gravel road and boots hit earth. The Team One cleaning crew arrived and ran for the lizard's body bearing chainsaws and gasoline. The knight removed her helmet. Hi, Grace, Sal said. It had been weeks since Sal had last seen her. She'd almost grown used to the absence. Almost didn't feel it anymore on assignment. Almost didn't miss the way they were before Grace left. Before she joined Team One. The corners of her mouth twitched too fast for Sal to say if they moved up or down. Sal. Sometimes she didn't say that much. There are civilians down in the cave, Sal said. There's nothing wrong with them. No books, no possession. Grace brushed hair from her eyes with a gauntleted hand. She left a trail of gore. She did not seem triumphant, though she stood on the body of her enemy. There was too much to say, so Sal said nothing. Grace turned and stalked away. Team One said fire to the lizard. Across the clearing, Monique and Liam kissed. Sal turned back to Perry, but he was gone. Six. Days later, Father Arturo Manchu stood before the orb once more, and before Asante, and once more she refused to look at him. The timer must have run out while we were stuck in the cave wall, he said. Team One deployed. We're lucky no one was hurt. Yes, Asante said. She'd been like this since the trial, quiet and careful, choosing her moments. Or at least he believed she was choosing her moments. None of those moments happened to involve him. They had been many things to one another down many years, but it had never been this bad before. Sal's brother disappeared. I see. She claims he seemed himself. He has been using the memories of his uh, angel half. He removed his glasses and tried to clean them on the lining of his coat to guide him. He even tried to help us, though it would have worked better if he had bothered to keep us informed. She said nothing. But his ritual didn't work. I, I mean, Liam obviously interrupted him, so there's no way of knowing what might have happened, but he had been down there for hours and only barely contained the shadows. Even then, some slipped out. He tried the glasses again, but the world looked as cloudy as before. I see. She stroked her chin, then raised a lever on the machine. I only mean to say, it seems even angels don't understand what they're doing with magic. I thought you didn't believe in angels. Yes, good. That was it, a sign of life, of disagreement, a sign she cared about, about them, about their work together, enough to fight. Whatever he is then, maybe he is a demon after all. But he is as in the dark as we are. She turned and looked at him. He waited. If he'd had a hat and poor self-control, he would have twisted it in his hands. What do people do with their hands anyway? He let his hang wooden by his sides. He felt made of wood all through. Take the bait. They send arguments so full of holes even I can see them. 
Show me. Tear me to pieces. That's a good point, Arturo, she said and smiled and turned away. For the first time, Father Arturo Manchu feared his friend. There was an empty cavern beneath the earth, and then it held a woman with sharp silver eyes. There were no lights in this dark place, the tourists having been evacuated, the scholars having retreated to safety. But if you had eyes like hers, you could have seen her as if in a field at noon. She walked a slow circle, touching paintings, and where she touched, they moved. And the world changed as if great machines worked out of sight. She passed without looking, the bare wall once occupied by a painting of a lizard, and moved to another patch, far smaller, once occupied by a painting of a priest. With her thumbnail, she carved a sliver of stone free from the wall, placed it in her mouth, and chewed. Rock shards cut her gums. Her teeth were not sharp, but an observer might be forgiven for thinking they were. She grinned. Arturo, you have been busy. And she vanished, leaving only footprints and a trace of laughter. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.